Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and by RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 147. And in our studio at uh, MotorWeek headquarters today is road test producer Ben Davis. Top of the morning to you, John. Oh, boy. What'd you do? Uh, have a late last night yeah, last night? Barely hear you there. Online <laughs> content coordinator, Patrick Lucas. Hello, everybody. And, of course, our assistant producer, Greg Carlos. Hey. We've got a lightning round. A viewer question, as we always do. Uh, we'll see if anybody's got a rant and rave uh, to rant and rave about. But first, on to some vehicles that we've had around the office lately, or at least have been um, driving on press events. Let's start with um, the 2017 Nissan Armada. Okay, this is the new Armada. It is no longer based on the Titan pickup truck. It is not based uh, built in the U.S. anymore. It is actually based on the global uh, vehicle called the Nissan Patrol, which is a real rough-and-ready, big off-roader. And uh, Infinity has been using this basic vehicle for their large SUV, the um, the 80, for a while now. So, um, anybody <clears throat> think this is a good move for them? I mean, it's a, in some aspects, you could make the case that it's a more modern vehicle. But to me, it's kind of a throwback because the Patrol really hasn't had an all-new chassis in yeah. probably <laughs> as long as the Titan had. Granted, it's it's all new, but it looks like a 2012 QX56 that you know later became the QX80 to me. So it looks a little dated. I think it looks much more dated <laughs> than that. Yeah, you're. I mean, you hit it right on the head there. I think it makes sense for Nissan. I mean, just stick to the one platform they use everywhere else. Most people who are going to buy it aren't going to notice anything. No. Um, it's. Yeah, I think you mentioned it's big, it's rough and ready. I mean, it's, it it's all those things. It it's, hasn't it's taken any of the uh, uh, off-road act characteristics away from it. It's back just added to it. Of course, that market really probably never takes these things on anything exactly. more than yeah. gravel roads anyway. Yeah. Um, it's, it, everything about it just looks dated, I think. I mean, the, the styling, while it's more modern than it was before, it's still, like, lagging behind others. The interior, I was kind of disappointed to see pretty much the same old layout that we'd seen before, um, and that goes for the, the QX80 as well. So, um, Info screen between the tech and speed yeah, is dated. a lot of buttons there that are just kind of it makes everything convoluted. It's just – if. If that's what you like, that's great. It's all still here. But if you're looking for something or if you're looking for Nissan to take that next step, I don't think they have with the Armada. I am assuming they, they didn't because of low volume and, and such and so forth. But, you know, it's major competitors, uh, mostly from GM, I guess, but also from Ford. I just think they're more modern, I guess. That's, even though the Ford uh, uh, is kind of a reboot, the uh, the GM um, Tahoe, Chevrolet Tahoe just seems like a a much more altogether vehicle. Agreed but, there. However, I will say that I thought it was um, back positive on the Armada. I did think it actually was pretty luxurious. It was nicely appointed on the inside. Really nice seats. I yeah, remember. if somebody was not, say, up on the latest vehicles and got in it, I'd actually think they'd be probably fairly impressed. I think it's, I think it's more, it's, the old Armada was in production so long, it's certainly a step up from that. It just may not be at the top of its class. I like the ride of it, too. I thought the engine was um, quite uh, uh, powerful. I mean, it's, it had a, 
the V8 certainly uh, powers is, way up for yeah, sure. It, it it certainly was not a laggard in any aspect. So you know, you kind of caught betwixt and between. It's like if someone's in the market for a full size truck like, shall we say, uh, SUV that you know has three rows and uh, can carry a, just about anything you could possibly want because the roof is pretty tall on it. It's a pretty nice vehicle. I just don't necessarily think that it moves ahead. It doesn't move the class forward. It doesn't go past what's already available domestically. Do you think it'll be cross-shopped with used QXs? Uh, I know for a fact that one person, a friend of mine, is actually doing that right now. And he did was not even aware that the Armada had changed. And they're looking at a, a, a two-year-old QX. And I showed him this. And he was quite – he said, you know, basically it's the QX. I said, Yes. Uh, he was very enthralled by it. He didn't think the interior, interior upholstery and so forth were quite up to the infinity standard, which is probably right. Uh, but he was very impressed with it, and he's looking at it as not only as an alternative to a used QX, but also dollar for dollar it's less expensive than the domestic competition. Uh, so he was saying, you know, I can probably save five to $10,000 and get – what I need to be able to tow, uh, I think in his case, it was a big boat. Oh, wow. So I think there's a market for it. Maybe it's for people looking for uh, a big new vehicle that's uh, uh, got a good towing. Uh, and, uh, but I, you know, if I had my druthers, it probably wouldn't be my number one pick. But I'm glad they stayed in the market. I think that's another <laughs> important thing. Obviously, Nissan wants to use all of their... U.S. production for the Titan because it's going to come in so many varieties. But I'm glad they didn't leave the market, especially now since that whole big, you know, full-size truck-like SUV market is getting uh, kind of a revitalization because of yeah. cheap gas. So, so okay, it's a new entrant. It may not be um, our absolute favorite, but it's worth looking at, especially if you've got any kind of a budget. They're just starting to roll into dealerships now, and so that's the Nissan Armada for 2017. Okay, another car I think we probably have some um, reservations on is the new 2017 Buick LaCrosse, which from looking at it, it looks like a nice step forward. I know, Greg, you've had spent more time with it than anybody else. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, it's an update in styling. It's not quite as drastic as I'm sure. Me as a younger person, I'm always expecting the next model of something to be drastically different. Especially or, when they say it's a new generation. Or much more modern, right. But they're, I mean, I'm not really that target audience for them. I'm not the person who's buying that car. I think people who are looking for that car are going to find it very still classic looking but also with modern touches it if you look at it from a profile it looks a lot like a impala which is a good thing i think it's a it's a good looking car it's got some sleek lines um they've reintroduced the uh, tri-colored shield in the front which i know mm-hmm. benny's uh, pretty <laughs> excited about <laughs> just it looked good to see yeah, it, 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 it really see you know what it, and looking back at lacrosse is with that just the plain chrome one yeah. it adds some life to the front which the, they they need you know buick is is interesting that they are you know they're a car company they're known for their uh Luxury, luxury cars, their things go back to the Roadmaster, back into the 50s. I mean, you know, even further than that, it's a hundred and some year old car company. This is their top sedan, and I think it's a very attractive car. I think the old LaCrosse was an attractive car. It's managed to stay modern. It has almost all the new safety uh, features, including automatic braking, which 
It was actually one of the, the least expensive cars you could get full automatic braking on first. The problem with the car is not one of design. The problem is that the market for sedans in this country has pretty much evaporated. And when you go into a Buick showroom, you're there because of the uh, of their SUVs. Mm. Now they've now got three of them, uh, including the uh, the new uh, one made in China. So the, you the you walk in the Envision. They've got the Enclave. They've got the Encore. And you walk in there looking for that, and I wonder how many people are being drawn to their sedan side when, frankly, probably that's the best deal in the showroom. Yeah. So I'm glad they haven't backed out of the car market because they've – let's see now. Is that – they still have that. They still have the Regal. Cascada. Uh, oh, not the sedan, yeah. Uh, and they've – what was the small sedan? Help me. The small sedan. Yeah, the uh, – The Verano. Uh, Verano. Yeah. And that's being discontinued. Right. So anyway, they've stayed in the car market, but you do have to wonder if this car is not like a placeholder, and it's certainly not their future. Well, you know, we didn't even talk about driving it, and it was actually shockingly good to drive. We were in As as all the recent Buicks have Yeah, we were in Portland, and i got to say, it was really comfortable and just amazingly quiet inside. And they have a new auto stop-start system. Um, You get the V6. That's that's what you get when you buy a LaCrosse. They don't even give you the option to turn off auto stop start, hmm. which in pretty much every car that I'm aware of, you have that option. Yeah. But honestly, this was, if not the best, one of the best auto stop pretty start invisible. systems. Um, if you didn't know it had it, you probably wouldn't even realize it. That eight-speed uh, eight-speed automatic transmission. It's really smooth. Little slow to downshift, but this isn't a car that you're going to be driving, you know, very hard. So I came away really impressed with just the drive characteristics. It has some of the styling of the Avignar. Right, yeah, yeah. that was and that Which won a is lot really of one of the most beautiful concepts in the last several right, years. Right, yeah, they uh, they really hit that one out of the park. And um yeah, there's there's definitely some cues there. Uh, the front grille is probably one of the the biggest takeaways from there. But and for those of you that don't watch Motor Week every week, shame on you, but mm-hmm. you should know that uh, Buick actually uh, designs cars these days for their Far East market uh, as much as they do the American market. And actually, I think the lacrosse will do very well there. That's where car sedans are still king, and they like them long, low, and Oh, yeah, they're going to do real well in China. Looking. Okay. A new car uh, that we I have seen at the auto shows, and Patrick uh, has now driven. It's mm. the first official spinoff of the new Genesis luxury brand, or Genesis Motor Company. This is the G90. So, Patrick, what was your takeaway? My takeaway, uh, I came back feeling very conflicted. Very conflicted. Because it was a very nice car, super nice car. Um, Anything you could possibly want in a luxury, a large luxury sedan. Super quiet, really great material quality. Um, Is this there based on the same chassis as the Equus? That's also the... Confusing, conflicted okay. part because they technically sell the G80 right now. That was technically their first mm-hmm. Genesis car, and that was a just rebadged Hyundai Genesis. So now the Genesis G90 is supposedly replacing the Hyundai Equus, um, but an all new vehicle. But I'm pretty sure it's a heavily modified Hyundai Equus chassis. Mm-hmm. Some some heritage there, right? But um, so yeah, like I said, really nice. Everything you could want in a large luxury sedan, but um, so objectively, it is on par with you know the biggest Lexus or you know 
maybe not an S class, not a not a seven series, which they said they wanted to go after. I don't think they're there yet, um, but certainly How Alexis. About an A8? I don't think so either. Okay, um, but that's their target. That's their target, which is a good target to aim for. Yeah, I mean, if you think it's actually as good as an LS, I was about to say right, it's, right out of the box. That's pretty impressive. It's it's on par with an LS. I'd say it probably beats uh, a large. What is it? The RLX by Acura. Mm-hmm. It definitely beats it there. Um, so objectively, very nice. But subjectively, if you start bringing your own opinions into it, uh, yeah, I just don't think it's quite. Where you know. does it lack? Is it? Is it? Overall? I don't know what it. I don't know what. I, maybe it's, it's hard to put your finger on. But what did it drive like? I mean, because obviously it, they're pushing this as a sporty, you know, a big sporty sedan. I would. I would not call it sporty. Um, mm. It's very quiet, very smooth. Um, so definitely on the luxury side. Oh, absolutely. Um, really great. Um, they're doing an eight-speed automatic, um, smooth shifts. Six and eight. Yep. Uh, twin turbo V6 um, and a the five liter V8 that they've been using for a while, um, or Hyundai has been using for a while in Kia. Um, really nice to drive, really quiet. Um, Let me approach this from another angle because it kind of gets into our uh, um, our lightning round. Do are you impressed with the effort given this is their first true one to break away the new mark? Absolutely, yeah. In that sense, I, it is definitely a success. I don't know if people are going to buy it. Not, not not only actually buy the car, but if they're going to buy Genesis, the company, as a luxury company. Let's let's get into that. And actually, that was our lightning round today. And and I'll before we hit the buzzer, the um, the start the clock, the two minute countdown. Before you'll hear the bell from Patrick. Um, that what bell, Patrick right? just said is exactly what I think I said probably I'm nearly word for word when I went to the first Lexus LS preview. We were out in L.A. They flew us all in. We got to stand in a room, and we got to look at the car sitting about 20 feet away, and I don't, I don't think we got to actually go up and touch it. But I don't remember. It's been a long time. But all of us sat there and said, really nice car, but is anybody going to buy a Toyota product that's been rebadged and going after Mercedes? So having said that, um, giving our, those comments about Genesis, does it really make sense to spin off a new car brand just because you're trying to get to a a new target audience. I mean, we have seen some successes uh, like Lexus. We've seen some failures like Scion, interesting, both from Toyota. Uh, We've seen some, eh, maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. Acura and Infiniti would fall into that. So I guess, does it make sense that Hyundai is doing this? Why are they doing this? And why don't you start the bell? And let's see if anybody's got a clock and see if anybody's got any opinions. I think um, we briefly touched on this maybe a few weeks ago, uh, maybe a few months ago at this point. Um, I think it's the natural progression for a successful car company. And I think Hyundai. You mean Hyundai. Hyundai, I think, Mm -hmm. has really, I don't think earned the right is the right word, but I think they've they've reached that point where it's like, what do we do next? And this is that next step. They've seen Toyota's been successful with it. They've seen other companies can be successful with it. And I think it's smart for them because they do make some nice vehicles. The Genesis is a very nice car, but I think one thing that holds it back is because it's badged as a Hyundai. Right. And if they can make a separation there, 
where people see Genesis. Genesis actually made a really nice name for itself as the car. And they right. actually, that was one where they had its own badge already, right? Yeah. They only had mm-hmm. like one Hyundai badge on mm-hmm. it maybe. So I think if they're officially trying to separate it from Hyundai, not that, I mean, we know Hyundai's actually become a very reputable and solid brand. Absolutely. But there's a lot of people who still see a Hyundai and think that's cheap. I know uh, a lot of Hyundai dealers sell very few Genesis because of that very fact. It's interesting that the, when the LX, LS from Lexus was launched, or when Lexus was launched, it was in a day where the Germans that they were after, Mercedes and, and BMW particularly in their big cars, had priced themselves almost out of the U.S. market. And they undercut them very substantially with the LS. But, the, you know, the, new, the base price for this GS is $70,000. So it's I can't even say I think it is a bargain because I guess there's almost no options, but on the other hand, it doesn't seem to come out with that. I've got to have it because it's the greatest buy on earth. Does yeah. anybody think well, that's well, smart or not I, smart? Or? Well, I got a question. When we had an Equus maybe a year or so ago, and I don't think any of us were enamored with it. No. We think the the price for what you're getting it with that was car. Really cheap. Do you think they've taken the next step and really kind of forgotten the previous Equus, or you still have that same feeling of? Well, and that's what I was trying to going to say earlier is maybe it's just because I've driven so many Hyundai products and Kia products that I'm noticing a lot of the same switch gear and shared you know like uh, buttons and mm-hmm. stuff like that and the look of like the gauge cluster and some sometimes. So maybe I'm just noticing that in this car and and you know i should be able to separate the two but i'm just still like i've seen that in a no we used Equus, to we've often talked about that. Yeah. that when lincoln has shared too many ford buttons and yeah Cadillac exactly has so shared too many you know chevy buttons so that's why maybe i personally think that the g90 is still not quite there but if somebody who's walking into a dealership and doesn't know a thing about it gets in there, they're going to be like, wow, this is really nice. And they're talking about a full line of vehicles. What, five vehicles? Yeah, they, five they want – like I think they want – let's see. Look at my notes. They want six vehicles by 20 – not one. They're planning on six vehicles by 2021. They're already working on the mm-hmm. G70, which is going to be a three-series fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's also going to underpin a uh, crossover. Right. They want to do a bigger crossover than that. Huh. Um, and then maybe a uh, – very small. Yeah, it's very difficult for a mainline brand, be it Hyundai or Ford or anyone else, to sell a pure luxury vehicle. People just don't have that mindset. And I guess in in this was probably the smartest thing they possibly could have done without giving up on it altogether. To try and convince people that a whole new luxury brand is out there worth looking at, it's going to be very tough. But Lexus did it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you have to say Acura and Infinity have stayed in the game. So um, I wouldn't bet against them. And I think it was probably a good move. Ding, ding. All right, very good. Um, let's move on to our uh, viewer question. This comes from Colin. Yeah, here we go. I've noticed that today's cars are opting for an electronic parking brake over a traditional foot or handbrake. My question is, in the event of a sudden brake failure, can you use an electronic parking brake as an emergency brake? We're talking about e-brakes here. Like you can a handbrake. Uh, can you even engage the electronic parking brake while the vehicle is in motion? If so, how safe is it? And what can you expect when you engage it? Uh, immediate stop, ABS stop, brakes lock up, whatever. I only ask this because they are using the term parking brake these days instead of emergency brake, which leads me to believe that there is a difference. 
Uh, nobody's going to jump in first. All right. I, I will tell you, Colin, I called Pat Goss before the show to ask him. Um, he says some of them will, if you pull them up at speed above 20 miles an hour or so, they will not engage at all. He said most of them, if you're at very slow speeds, will give you some braking. He, of course, then went on to say only a crazy person would pull it up at uh, highway speeds because if it did work, it would lock up your rear brakes and possibly send you into a spin. But in his experience, and I think ours too, most of them don't work or will not set in an up position if you're moving at any kind of speed and um, well, I've been, won't even work. Now, yeah, you, I've on been, the other hand. Right. You, I've been told at one event it was a jag, a event, jag on event. a track, and people were wondering about because it was right around the time where they were really becoming prevalent. Right. And somebody had asked, can you pull like a J-turn with it? Right. And one of their drivers, I believe, told me that if you held it up while you're driving, it would act as a traditional emergency brake. But that's their, that case. And it's probably not <clears throat> and universal. It may not even, they may not do it anymore. It may have just been that model or just at mm. that, that, that time. But that's what I was told. Benny, you said you basically do that well, with almost every car we get in just to see what happens. <laughs> I do. It's, like a good tester shit. It's a carryover from my teenage days. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I have tried it in, in a lot of vehicles, and I've never had success. Um, I know that if you're going very slow speeds, like three, four, five miles an hour, it'll work. I believe I've a done, couple of I've times. I've done that myself. Yeah, you'll feel, you'll feel a little resistance there. But usually I try it at speed and – it just it, it it'll flash some kind of warning sign sometimes start. between your in your in, in some screen or another or make an audible noise, but yeah, there's nothing there. It just doesn't work. Patrick, ever tried? No, you know, I'm not that daring. Now, I should also tell you, Colin, that Pat says that it has been decades <laughs> since he's seen a car uh, in his shop that had a total brake failure because. Cars have dual braking circuits, sometimes three circuits. So the chances, unless you, for some reason, completely run completely out of uh, hydraulic fluid, and at that point you'll get all kind of lights flashing on the dash, that the uh, thing in the movies where they show you cutting a, a brake line, Uh-oh. And, oh, I I did, and I did cut my phone off, I have to tell you, but it's <laughs> ringing anyway. Basically, uh, he feels that uh, the likelihood of, that, of you actually needing that as an emergency brake is uh, slim and none. As a quick side note, yep. I've also tried to put electronic shifters in the park at highway speeds, and nothing happens. <laughs> nothing happens. That's probably <laughs> that's a good, yeah. that's yeah. a good thing. Smart. Well, you never know, because, I mean, I have kids, and kids do crazy stuff. You, while you're not paying attention, one could lean over and hit park. or Especially in a Jaguar or Range Rover, it's real tempting to grab that rotary dial and do something right. with it, even as an adult, knowing I shouldn't. <laughs> that's how I first <laughs> the tested rotary it. rotary shifters. So if I'm thinking about it, you know that there's a you know, seven, eight, nine, well, ten-year-old yeah. thinking about it, and they might do it. So. And especially when you've got those little bitty... Uh, you know, e-brake levers. They just, and sometimes they're right next to some other button yeah. that somebody. I've I've forgotten which one it was. There's something that I went to. Oh, I know what it was. It was um, wasn't it the Cascada that had the top mechanism oh, the top. right next mm-hmm. to the e button. Mm-hmm. So if you right. go there to pull up, of course you wouldn't theoretically wouldn't be driving very fast. But if you pulled up on the top button, you're right next to the brake button. What was your plan if you managed to yeah, get what, into park at highway speed? <laughs> Maybe not highway speed, but 30-35. Did you think that was through before you did it? Just to test to see what would happen if a a young passenger were to 
do it while you're not looking? Well, I, I've noticed in some of the uh, the e shifters, especially the rotary ones, that that you're when you're going, say, for either the manual setting or the snow setting, there's this human tendency to flip the dial back and forth, and you end up going too far, and you end up in park, and you flip it right out of it, and nothing happens. And I'm thinking, you know, is this really, you know, this gets back to the whole e-shifter thing, is that, are they really an improvement, uh, or is, is it just something well, for show? That's a good segue into a ran rave, because yeah, I've got, uh, I got a problem with our long-term high, uh, pilot um, mm-hmm. shifter. I just hate that there's buttons. <laughs> It's awful. The, it's for those so of you that haven't, haven't seen the uh, the eight the eight speed automatic shifter that's in the pilot, and also that uh, Acura uses, it's a combination of there's a button for part par, park. There's a Rocker, I don't know what would much. you call it. Yeah. Basically, something you pull back on a, a button you'd pull back on for reverse. reverse. Yeah. Then you've got a big button for drive. It's uh, slow to react. It's and I mean, I have a habit of, and it's not a good one, of going from in a, in a traditional shifter when I'm reversing, I'm reversing, and then when I go to drive, I'll flip it into neutral for a second and then go to drive. This thing, you have to be pretty much at a complete stop, mm-hmm. hit drive, yeah. and then you even got to wait like another beat until you can actually go. Like, I'll be on the gas before it even engages. So it's just, it's I, kind of frustrating. I think they're losing sight of the inherent benefits of electronic shifters, too, is that they take up much less space. Mm-hmm. That's supposed not to be a, the whole thing. Not in this case, yeah. though. It's huge. I mean, yeah, but do you yeah. think, like, in there, the pilot, they're going for a design aesthetic, or was that supposed to be a functionality thing? Because it is just, well, it certainly looks cool, but it is just bizarre. Cumbersome. The yeah. standard transmission in the pilot is the six speeds, and that's an entirely, that's the more traditional uh, handle with a, a Prindle. And uh, I think that's the space. So they fit this in the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, it certainly doesn't need to take up that much space. And, and most manufacturers will are telling us that one of the reasons they've gone to e-shifters is so they can free up console space. So they can use it for storage. Cubby or holes cubby holes or and, whatever. And all kinds of stuff, yeah. So I, I think that's probably the shifter that comes with the transmission at this point. But uh, I, I can't say any of us are fans of the... Uh, Every time I get in the pilot, it's like you've got to relearn how to use it all over again. Anyway. <laughs> Reinventing the wheel. Yeah, so this, we could probably go on for an entire podcast about e-shifters and how we don't necessarily think they're a step forward. But we won't. We will bring to a close our podcast number 147. I want to thank everybody around the table today. Uh, ben Davis, Patrick Lucas, Greg Carlos for basically taking part and giving us our wisdom. Also, audio engineer Jim Bigwood, who makes us sound good regardless. Podcast creator Bob Mixter. And, of course, Patrick Lucas is our podcast producer. And as I always say, the man with the bell. To all of you out there, thanks very much for listening to our podcast at Motor Week. Thank you also for joining us on our television series now in its 36th season seen on public TV stations around the country and also on the Velocity Cable Channel. We hope you'll also go to our website motorweek.org where we've got lots of features uh, that you won't necessarily see on the show itself. Our YouTube channel is up and active with, I don't know, I lost count hundreds and hundreds of road tests and all sorts of other features from the show. If you've got a computer or a TV, you can find us on Motor Week, and we hope you will. I'm John Davis. For all of us, thanks for listening and watching to Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week. 
Television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and by RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.